Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. If you haven't heard, I am here to share with you. The Wine and Chisme podcast has launched the very first Latina-owned wine brand directory ever. Just go to the wineandchismepodcast.com, then go to Wine Brand Directory. There you will be greeted by me. But more importantly, you will be able to choose a winery first by region, then by county. And the wineries in that area will not only be listed, but you can connect directly to them from this site. It couldn't be easier than that, right? Use this directory to plan your own wine adventure or learn about some of these Latine vintners or share it with a friend and have them buy some Latine wine as well. You guys, this is the first time that something like this has ever been available. So go use it and support our community. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. So welcome you guys to our final virtual wine tasting for 2021. Thank you guys so much. We've had a lot of craziness the back half of the year, but I'm super excited. Maria, I am so, so, so excited to have you guys here. First of all, to have these wines that we have that are completely different than what we've tried before, but also that you guys are in New York. I was telling Amanda earlier, you guys were the only Latino-owned winery that I could find on the East Coast. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story with us. No, thank you for having me. And uh, it's always nice to tell people the story of what we're doing. It's funny, it's polarizing for people in, in Long Island because we're Mexican. So it, some people love it, some people hate it. It's been quite a, quite the journey these last three years. But I think I think we're doing something right and I hope we, we keep pushing for it. <laughs> Super excited. Well, I want to get started. So we're going to start with the white Merlot. And before you guys do anything, I'm going to share this with you and have you guys um, from your phones take a quick scan of that QR code. And it's going to take you to this page showing the white Merlot. And you're just going to hit join. Oh, dang it. I guess you have to put in your mobile number. I apologize. This is the first time I'm using this. But basically, this is just a way for us you know, I've uh, prior to coming on, me and Maria were talking about what the wines were while you guys are doing this. And based on what she thinks they are, based on her expertise, and then we want to see what you guys feel like. What are the tastes that you're getting? How are you doing all that? So this is the way that we can do that. So did everybody... 
scan their square while they're setting it up. Okay. I love it. It's very cool. Yes, I'm super excited. Please feel free to ask questions. Um, we want it to be as interactive as possible. We want, you know, that's why Maria is here to share the story and to be able to ask questions. And Anna, I'm super excited that you're in Queens because that means you'll be able to actually go visit RGNY. Um, that makes me so happy. We're actually setting up uh, greenhouses this next week. So we're going to have little greenhouses for the whole winter with little heaters inside. We're decorating them Mexican. So it's just little little lounges where you can actually see the vineyard in winter, which no one ever does out there, but it, it gets all snowed in and white and it's beautiful. I want to go so bad. That <laughs> is exciting. I look forward to visiting. <laughs> all right. So let's get started. So we're going to start, like I said, with the 2018 White Merlot. And please tell us a little bit about this wine. So let me just go back one second to explain. So we have the Cielo line. Cielo, you know, means heaven, sky in Spanish. So it's the stairways to go up to heaven. We say that if you finish it, you're there. And uh, we have the RG line, which is part of this. Um, the White Merlot is part of that collection. The Cielo wines you're going to find, we're, we're trying to do very straightforward wines, easy to drink, accessible. And then the RG is always wines that are either different or it's a grape that's a little harder to manage, or they have something special, right? So the white Merlot is actually very special to me because when we we started making wine in Mexico back in, and we'll go to the story in a moment, but back in, in um, 2007, Mexico has a lot of heat. So we came to Long Island and we found that there's not enough sunlight and we have trouble for the grapes to actually ripen that much. So what do you do when you, when you want to harvest early? You do whites or you do rosés, but what do you do with the grape, red grapes, right? So we said, why don't we use the red grape that we have, but harvest it early and do what we call a blanc de noir, right? So basically it's treating a red grape as you would a white. You cut it earlier, you press it, and the free flow juice that comes out is this wine, right? So it's very little processed. It's literally a, a very elegant, delicate press of it. What I love about it is that because it's a red grape, you get this quality in the nose and the, and the mouth that makes it very versatile. And you can have almost anything to eat with it, right? If you smell it, you're going to find that very like citrusy note at the beginning. A lot of lemon. And then the grass kind of hits you, this like herbal note. So it becomes lemongrass, right? We were just talking about how it starts with lemon, it becomes lemongrass because the herbal notes start hitting you. Giselle's already finished. Okay, so go to your thing and say like what you smell. When you smell it, do you smell the floral? Do you smell the fruity? Like just put in what you think. It doesn't have to be exactly what Maria said, but we want to know what you guys think. And that's part of, of tasting the wine. Everybody has a different experience, right? Maybe maybe someone gets the lemon a lot, so you're going to say fruit, and then maybe someone gets the greenness of it more, so they're going to say herbal. And that's when it becomes very interesting, right? Smells so good. It's very complex in the nose. You would think it's not. It starts being very straightforward with citrus, but then it starts moving a little bit towards like peach notes, uh, maybe like a little white, uh, white flowers. You know what I kind of, what I'm getting a little bit, and this might sound totally crazy. I'm getting, I'm feeling like I'm smelling a little bit of cilantro. Really? That, that greenness. Yeah. You think so, Anna too? Yeah. So I definitely smell like the herbal, 
herbal vibes going. <laughs> and that's that's part of, of it, uh, not letting the, the fruit ripen that much. So really it is green when we harvest it. So that's what you feel, right? And that's what we're smelling here. I and love then, the, oh, the color too, because it's such a subtle... We skip the color, right? But it's it's always great to have something white where you can put it against so that you can see the color. And it's a very interesting color because it's almost like a golden color, right? It's not a white white because the skins are red. Yeah. So you, even if you just press it, you get a little bit of that color. When people talk about the body, Maria, what are we talking about? And, and so people can figure out what they think the body of this wine is. I mean, one is what do you what do you look at it? But really, I think the body you can feel more in your mouth, right? It's it's also like the density that you feel in your tongue or in your cheeks. Light wines are usually they come and go easy. The medium ones, I think this is more in the medium category. It stays with you a little longer. It lingers in your in your tongue. It has a little um, more weight to it, right? Yeah. I'm trying to figure out, I'm feeling, I'm tasting something else on the after, like on the back. And I'm trying to figure out what that tastes like to me. A little more tropical, that aftertaste, right? Like stone fruit or peachy? Yeah, I was actually going to say like lychee. Is that how you say I, it? I lychee, feel like, lychee, I don't know how to say it. Yeah, I think, I think in the end it has this like tropical note that is more towards like the pineapple or the, or those things. It changes. It goes from herbal all the way to that like more tropical note. And again, as I said, being a red grape that you treat as a white, it becomes very versatile. So it's it's an interesting wine to play around with. Or as I say, to just like get romantic with it because you can get a lot of things out of it, right? Yeah. Erin, did you already drink yours? That's my sister, by the way. I saw her pouring her wine earlier. Yeah, it was a different to- one. I didn't chill this one. So I haven't opened it yet. You can do the, the red one. Yes, I'll do the red one. Yes, Giselle has, says it has like a rose gold color and it does. That's a very good way to describe this color of white. I like that color. It's different. Mm, love that. It is. Yeah, it definitely has that tropical. Okay, so did you guys, do you feel like it's very acidic? You feel like it's really creamy? I wouldn't say it's creamy, but crisp or tart. Like fill out whatever you think. I did have a question. I've never seen white Merlot before. Is it like common in other places or how did you know to start making it? It's not very common. We do have a Cabernet Sauvignon made made as white in Mexico. We've been doing it since 2010. So what happened is I'm from Monterrey, right? Monterrey is very, very hot. We're from the north, northeastern part of Mexico. We eat a lot of meat. We have great meat, but it's July. You're outside, you're at a barbecue. Carnes asadas in Monterrey are like the thing to do all the time, right? And it's very hot and you don't want to drink a red wine, but you want wine. You don't always want beer. So we st- my father was like, we need a solution for this. Like, what can we do? So we started researching and we we realized Blanc de Noir, which is actually white of black, right? Has been done in France forever. So we said, let's try it. We tried it. The, the enologist, the winemaker that we had at the time was like, you're crazy. That's a sacrilege. Cabernet Sauvignon should be red and bold and big and expensive. And we said, we want to try it. So we tried it and we loved it. It was kind of this, like, like the Merlot, it was very unique and very versatile where you have, you taste it, it's a white, 
But then suddenly it becomes more complex and you're like, oh, okay, it's a little more interesting. So when we came to Long Island, as I said, one of the problems we had was the grapes were not ripening because there's not enough sunlight. So I said, if we're going to harvest early, it makes more sense to do a white, even if it's a red grape. So we kind of copied what we had already done. And really it was, it was a, a problem, for, like a weather problem that we wanted to solve. So it was a very practical problem where we found a very old and traditional solution. And then we replicated it when we came to New York. And it is actually our best selling wine. I think one of the reasons is people have never tried it. So it's like, okay, the color looks sexy. And then it be- you try it and it's interesting. So it's good all the way, right? I like that your problem was that it's too hot. So let's make a new wine. So I, you're my kind of people. So yeah. ¿Dónde está tu casa en Monterrey? Where do you guys make that? <laughs> en Parras. Parras, Coahuila. No sé si hablo español o inglés o mezclo, pero... Lo que gustes. Does everybody speak Spanish besides my sister? <laughs> okay. So Parras we can go en... back and forth. Okay, good. Parras está en uh, Coahuila que está, es el estado pegado a Nuevo León, y Parras tiene la tradición de viticultura más antigua de todo el continente. Los jesuitas llegaron en 1597 y vieron Parras, Parra natural, y le llamaron Santa María de las Parras. Entonces ahí se ha hecho vino de toda la vida. Nosotros empezamos hace relativamente poco, pero mi vecino tiene 500 años haciendo vino. Y ahí es donde estamos, cuando nos quieran visitar en Parras de la Fuente, Coahuila, a dos horas de Monterrey. Es una región... Completely different from Long Island, right? So we, we came here and it was like, what? No kidding. I said my dad tried this and he's like, oh, that's light. <laughs> that's mild. What did My family is from Coahuila. What? Yes. Wow. And we met in Monterrey. Well, I live in the south of California. I'm Tejana. But I grew up in the border in Piedras Negras and Eagle Pass. Así okay. es que sí, sé dónde está Parras y Monterrey. Dije, oh my gosh. <laughs> Sí, Parras es, tiene muchísima historia, pero desgraciadamente no hemos destapado la historia y no hemos sabido aprovecharla y capitalizarla para sacarla al mundo y decir, somos los más viejos de todo el continente, porque la historia ahí está y es una historia muy rica, ¿no? Pero bueno, estamos tratando. Ahora los vinos mexicanos los acabamos de traer a Nueva York hace un mes y queremos buscarle un espacio en Nueva York, no solo a los vinos de Nueva York que estamos haciendo acá, sino también a los vinos mexicanos, ¿no? And your parents are, and you still have that place down in Monterrey, in Para, as well? Yes, my family is all in Monterrey. I'm the only one who took the, the plunge and the adventure to come experiment in New York. Nice. All right, I, are you guys ready to go on to the Tinto? I am. We'll give, it, give me a second. One thing yeah. that I've loved about, I think it comes also with smaller wineries, right? Not these huge wineries is that I used to always say, I'm not a white person. <laughs> multiple, that can mean multiple things. <laughs> I'm not a white wine person, but through these wine tastings, I've discovered so many white wines that I really like. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're not made in these huge, you know, huge batches. There's more time taken with them. And a lot of them have been fermented in steel barrels. Is the white Merlot in steel or in oak barrels? Steel. It's only steel. I think that the, the body it has is more for, comes more from the, the actual skin of the grapes. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just a little contact, it, it always gives you a little more because 
tannins come from the skin, the structure comes from the skin, everything really from a red wine comes from the skin. And we we get that comment, like I don't usually read, drink whites, but I like this one because I think it it's an in-between, right? Oh yeah, the whites that I have oh, liked, 99% of them are aged in still barrels. When they're in oak barrels, especially then when they get that buttery flavor, especially like the Chardonnays, I am like tapped out. That yeah, they, they do a lot of those in California and the oak just becomes a little overpowering. Yeah, for sure. All right, who's ready for the tinto? <laughs> Anna's like, yes, let's go on to the next one. So this one is a combination. I was reading it earlier. So it's 43% Merlot, 37% Cabernet Sauvignon, 10% Cabernet Franc, and 10% Petit Verdot. Tell us about the, the Cielo, because I know you said it was, the, obviously this is the Cielo brand. Tell us a little bit about this 2018 Tinto. So as I said, our, our Cielo line is meant to be approachable, easy to drink, super straightforward in terms of what you see is what you get. And here we wanted to make a, a light red. So New York will hardly ever make like big, bold reds. As I said, we don't have enough sunlight. The grapes don't really ripen as you would want them to ripen. So they become lighter which is good. It's different, right? And I think it makes for a very different uh, way of drinking them. We started beanifying the grapes separately. So we did the Merlot separately, the Cab Sauvignon, the Petit Verdot. They're all French varieties. Uh, the vineyard had all of these different grapes. So we started experimenting and, and, the, and the winemaker started doing her own uh, blending options. In the end, she presents them to a panel of the commercial team, the tasting room staff, everyone, and we kind of decide which is a blend that we like. Actually, a lot of people don't ever put the grape on the percentage of the of grapes. And it's something we want to do. We want people to know what they're drinking. I love that. Courtney, yay, joined us. Okay, you guys, I added that QR code for this, for the, for the um, Tinto. I forgot about Courtney, that she hadn't joined us yet. <laughs> and Courtney's in uh, the East Coast as well. One more. Yeah, we have two East Coast people. So as I said, in the end, uh, the, the Cielo Tinto, when we came to New York, we found a lot of people, because the reds are, are on the lighter side, we found a lot of people were correcting them, correcting the color or correcting the taste to make them stronger. If, if we start with the color, you see it's super light, right? To be a red, it's, it's like a light colored red. It's almost like a Pinot Noir. Yes, that and, was something that I was surprised about when I was pouring it, how light it was. And we decided to keep it this way because one of one of the part of our philosophy in our GNY is minimal intervention. The less you do to the wine, the better it's going to be, right? You strive to get very, very good grape. And once you have good raw ingredient, then you just go for it and then you don't have to correct. We don't want to drink chemicals. We don't want to drink other than grapes we kind of decided to let it be and I ended up loving it. I mean, New York is also very talking about weather and climate. It's very hot in New York in July and August. And it's, it's a beautiful light red that you can drink all year round. So make sure you guys post like what the smell is. I definitely smell the, the fruit first and then the floral right behind it. I get a lot of like red fruits that are not as ripened, like very fresh like the cherry when it's not ripened completely, but you open it and it, it smells like a little greeny, but red fruity. 
And then the flower, we were saying, I, I feel like it has a lot of violet in it. I was asking Jessica if she had, have you ever had those like uh, candies that are violet flavored? So they, they, they taste like flour. It's very funny, but they have them all around Long Island. I don't know why. And it's oh, so- I tasted the strawberry ones that, you know, every abuela has. <laughs> yeah. Well, those are good. And the butter ones. My abuela had butter ones. I love those. <laughs> I feel like it has this, this flowery note, which is a little alcoholic, but a little very floral. Maria was just talking about it. It's a lighter body wine. But if you feel like the fact that you can just like I could do this and pretty much like see through it. It's so cool. Yeah, it's in the body. I feel like it's it's a light wine, especially for a red wine, right? It is. Hi, Norma. Yay. We have everybody with the exception of Maria from New York. Different Maria. We have everybody here. Yay. Norma, we did the uh, the white Merlot. We're doing the Tinto now. and. If you feel like you want to describe the acidity, whether it's creamy, crisp, tart. I feel this one is tart. I feel like it, it has a very good acidity, but it's not crisp because then you have more to it a little bit. You you get you end up having that creaminess. So to me, the tart is that mix between the crisp and the creamy one. You get the acidity first and then you get some of that tart, that creaminess, right? Yes. And then when you guys go to describe the tannins, I didn't realize there was a button you push to put tannins or not. So you could just put whatever on that one, because I feel like this is really still light in tannins. I don't feel like it's definitely heavy. It does have a little oak. So not all of the grapes, but at least two of the grapes spend um, like six months in, in French oak. It's not new French oak because one of the things, Jessica, that you mentioned uh, before about wines being too overpowered by, by wood or oak is one of the things that we've never wanted to do. So ever since we started doing wines in Mexico, we said we want them balanced. You don't want to taste the wood and be like, oh, wow. Yeah. You want to taste it a little bit. So you can taste a little vanilla in it, in this one. And that comes from the, the barrel, but it's super subtle. And now that I'm tasting it, I can taste a little bit of the tobacco because I was like, oh, does that have tobacco? And I was like, oh, probably doesn't because it feels so light. But now... Once I tasted it, I'm like, I can taste a little bit of that as well. And the more you leave this open, the more you're going to taste it and get a little more smokier, a little more like coffee notes that come from the barrel. But but if you use new new barrel with a grape that's not as ripe, I think you definitely kill it and overpower it. So we only use small quantities. Oh, I really like this. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more Wine and Cheese May. Now that spring is well underway, let's swap out the winter look with a spring refresh. Our friends at Ulta Beauty recommended a few of the following must-haves. Starting with the eyes, NYX Epic Smoke Vegan Eyeliner brings out your sultry eyes to the next level. This epic eyeliner goes on like eyeliner and blends out like smoke and it comes in 12 daring shades. So you can play it safe with a neutral look or go hot with their adventurous shades. Next, check out Hourglass's Vanish Airbrush Primer. This is a translucent skin perfecting primer that smooths skin, controls shine, and provides a blurred airbrush finish while extending makeup wear. Complete this spring refresh with Tres Luce Beauty Bold Yatrevida Liquid Lip Tint. Tres Luce's Lip Tint Hyaluronic Acid plumps lips up with immediate, long lasting hydration. They also come in eight bold colors, which allow you to take on the day with a burst of color. But remember, 
This is only the beginning of your spring refresh. So head over to Ulta Beauty and shop now in store or online for all your essential spring refresh looks. I like dry wines. It definitely has that, that dry, that, you know, but it's not too tannic. It's, oh, I'm, I'm digging this. I'm really digging this wine. It's dry and it has in the end, and we, we really strive for this. It has a good acidity. You can feel yourself, yourself salivating a little bit. Yes. You feel that? That's great for two reasons. Because it opens your palate. Once you're salivating, you're like, "Mm, what should I eat? And two, because it invites you to get another another drink. When it's flat and you don't salivate, you don't have good acidity, it's hard to keep drinking it. So acidity is very important in in a wine in order we want you to finish the bottles, right? Yeah. So when you guys did these wines, because one thing that I've really enjoyed listening to in regards to some of the other vintners in is we found that a lot of the Latine vintners, they consider the flavors of our food, right? When they're making the wine versus a lot of, you know, large places don't really, they are very traditional in pairing with the foods. What was your guys' thought process in regards to making these wines and what type of I know we got some general pairings and stuff, but in regards to Latin foods, Latino foods, like what type of things do you think this would pair really well with? Yeah, I I think that's a very interesting topic to get into. One, as a brand, both in Mexico and in New York, we always try to make balanced wines. If you make a red that's very, very big and very oaky, you need to eat like a big piece of steak with it. We don't want that. We want our wines to be, you, you, you should be able to enjoy them with anything you want, right? And then we keep in mind two things, the local food, because it's it's the natural terroir, if you if you want. I mean, the grape is given to you by the land. And then if you get oysters, then how do you complement that? Right. And of course, the Mexican flavor, because we, we leverage a lot of on our Mexican roots and what we like. And we're trying to bring the good, great parts of Mexico to New York. Right. So, I mean, this one we I like it because it's light enough where you can eat like a lobster roll, which is very local from the North Fork and the Long Island region. But then, I mean, I, I just opened it before and I had some tacos de aguacate with it. I added a little crushed peanuts to the aguacate and cilantro and it, it burnt perfectly and it doesn't overpower them. It, it actually made a lot of sense because the creaminess of the of the aguacate tastes perfectly well with this acidity. So I think they're very versatile. I mean, if you ask me, I I always love to pair it with Mexican food because it's a challenge because it's spicy and it's it's hearty and it it has a lot of flavors. Yeah. No, so I mean, know, actually, when you were saying that, I was thinking, I wonder how it would taste with mole. Yeah. You would think that maybe the mole would be overpowering it, but the acidity in the end, I think that would make it work because then it cleanses your palate a little bit and then you're back into the mole full on to taste like the full... Flavors of it. Now I want more, Jessica. <laughs> and I'm in New York, so you know. <laughs> I haven't made some in a while, but I now that it's getting co- cooler here, which means like 75 yeah. degrees. <laughs> then, look, I see Courtney. Courtney's in Maryland, so she's like, whatever. She's so over me. Um, okay, so now we're going to go on to the sparkling reasoning, which I'm saving for tomorrow. So I have like, I'm super excited about this hat because this is the first time we've had a sparkling oh. wine in our tastings. So thank you so much, you know, for our little, no, for our you're little welcome. thing. 
This one, I was reading the side and it says it has strong aromas of lilies, kiwi and lime, fresh flavor with, with fine bubbles. So will you talk a little bit about, I know Giselle and then they're opening, you guys are opening this one too, right? Will you talk a little bit about the Cielo Sparkling Riesling? Yes, of course. I, I was telling you just before everybody came in that that's the one I'm I'm kind of like, it's on my rooster now. So I take it everywhere with me and I'm drinking it all the time. So again, thinking about what we can do well in the region, right? Going back to saying, if you have to harvest early, what can you do with the grape? So white, roses and sparkling is like the, the answer that most, that you get the better results with, right? We don't want to fight what we can't do. I'm never going to say, I want to do a big, bold Merlot if I'm not going to make it well. So what can we do well? And, and we came back to the sparklings. We have a, a white sparkling that's very traditional. And we have a, a sparkling rosé, which is a little more um, into the rosé game. So a little less dry, a little more um, sexy, if you will. And then we said, going back to that minimal intervention, how can we do a sparkling with less process? Uh, we, we decided to go for Riesling because Riesling has two qualities that I love. High acidity and very fragrant. In the nose, it kind of explodes, right? It has a lot of smells. So we did a, a Riesling, we did a sparkling, but we didn't do it the traditional method. We actually left it on the lease. That's why it's a little cloudy because we, we basically, to put it in simple terms, we skipped two processes in order to keep it more natural. And this is important to us, right? The, as, as I said, the less you do to the wine, the less you touch it, the less additives you put into it, we think it's the better way to go. What do you guys, if you drank more than one, what are you guys enjoying so far of each of them? Courtney, you didn't open any of your wine. I thought you were going to open your wine. I opened a different bottle last night. Just totally blank that this was tonight. So... <laughs> What did you open last night? A Pinot Noir. That's what I usually open when I what wine. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm drinking, even though I'm listening and having a great time from that perspective. But no, I didn't. Courtney, you were saying that you usually drink Pinot Noir. Try this one. It's on the light. Uh, we, we just tried it, but it's on the light on the lighter side. Okay. As, as a Pinot is, and you you you'll probably like it and, and experiment a little outside of your comfort zone. Which is okay. Good. Yeah. I just had already opened one yesterday. So I was like, I'm going to finish it, but don't worry. I will get to it. <laughs> That's good. You'll tell us what you think. I will. Okay. So I have, I have the reasoning now here and I kind of explained the process to you guys. Right. I think it's very expressive in the nose. Do you guys feel that it smells a lot more than the others? Like it's almost like a, like a blow of a lot of things in the nose, right? It, it's fruity. It's flowery. What do you guys please. find that it yeah, smells please. like? Unmute yourself and, and share. I definitely smell like lime, like limon, citrusy stuff like that. That's what I smell. But okay. it, the smell to me is lighter than the other ones. Like this red one right away, I can smell the smokiness. But I opened this red wine like like an hour and a half ago. So, Good. So you, you let it grab some air. Yeah. So it, I definitely, we tasted the smokiness and smelled the smokiness right away. And I love it. Well, you know what you like. That's good. I, I think also understanding if you like to kind of walk with the wine and evolve with it and smell the cherries first and then get to the smokiness or you want to get to the, the end that's usually richer. 
then you open it before, right? So you have the, the game of it. And I like that you can do both. Sometimes I open it at the beginning and I, I start smelling it and I just like dance with it. And other times I leave it and then I grab it when it's, I feel it's ready. So what do you guys smell in, in this uh, Riesling? A lot of lime. I feel and like- then Rita, what do you guys smell? I, I was going to say initially I smell like a mineral and now I can't stop smelling big. Okay. I definitely smell the minerality of it. I think, and I, I, I don't know why, but I recognize the mineral, minerality in like those stone fruits, like uh, apricot. Mm-hmm. And it goes, so it's like a minerality, but it, it's also a little like uh, juicy minerality. I love the smell. I think, I think it does smell like lime, the yellow one. I think us Mexicans are the only ones that get that na- those names confused, like lime and lemon, right? But I think it smells like the yellow one more than, more than the green one. If you put it in the oven sometimes... When they bring fish to you and they bring that lime in the oven, it smells a lot like that, I think. Ooh, I'm going to remember that when I open this tomorrow. Because <laughs> I, I really want to, to have the experience, the bubbles with some turkey tomorrow. So that's yeah. why I'm saving it for tomorrow. And I think uh, we didn't touch on the color, but as I said, it's, a, it's not as clear because we don't filter it. We leave it on the lease. So it's a, it's a less processed than anything else. So a lot of people find these and like weird or they're like, oh, why? But really, most of the times, we just don't want to add other things. I love that. My brother-in-law said he it tasted kind of like beer to him, like a light beer. <laughs> yeah, that actually makes sense. It does have yeah, when I kissed my husband, that's what I, I was like, oh, is that the wine? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, and that's interesting. I think that's a good thing because then you have other people that are used to beer and now they're drinking something else, right? I think that relates a lot, Giselle, to, to the um, the yeast. No, like pan tostado and all of these notes that are that that have a lot to do with beer and wine, because we both use yeast in the process. So you usually have that commonality, and sometimes you feel it a lot more than others other times. Kind of like um, pear cider. Kind of like okay. Kind of tastes like that, like pear cider. Um, like yeah. Question. So is there a reason that you guys went with this type of top, like where you would need a, a bottle opener type of top versus a cork that a lot of other sparkling wines use? One of the reasons is because we skip the last process. Usually when what they do in the last process is the bottles are usually bottom down like this and they they turn them around so that they, they, they all are in contact with the lease. And then what they do is you actually uh, freeze this part. So the lease come out, you take out that part and then you put the cork, right? So because we want to do a, a one less process, we said, can we just go directly to the cork? And then we said, we're doing Cielo, which is, we want it to be easy to drink, more accessible. And I love that they said it reminds them of beer because it just makes it more popular and, and easier to relate to, right? So in the end, we said, this is also easier. It's just easier. And I mean, us Mexicans can open this with a lighter, with the table, with the eye. You know, everyone's like, ah, a new trick to open it. And I love it because it's just easy. The cork, it's always like, well, you have to have a cork opener. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't not necessarily know how to open sparkling wine. You know, the twisty, do I twist it? Do I this? Do I that? Like, yeah, all of those things. Is it going to break something? Is it not? Yeah. 
So I want to talk about, because you talked about RGMY earlier in regards to how you guys started. I would love to hear more about how you guys started in Mexico and how did you guys end up in New York of all places and why you chose that? Because that is so like interesting. When I was looking for Latin and wine brands and I found you guys, I was just like, how in the world in Long Island? I'm so confused. I need to know everything. <laughs> so can you start, can you like just share with us how your family started in Mexico and why you guys started wine and then what drove you to go to New York of all places? Sure. I'll start at the beginning. I'll, I'll try and make it fast for you guys and just uh, ask me questions if you have any. Okay. So my father was born in Mexico City. He lived in Parras when he was younger because his father worked there at a denim company and he loved Parras. He ended up in Monterrey studying. He married my mom, who's from Monterrey. He, several years later, bought a small pecan farm. He was growing pecans and then one of his friends was like, well, you know, there's good wine here in Parras. Let's do something. So they started a little project. They were making their own wine. They were drinking it. They weren't really selling it. I graduated college. I started working at a, at, a, at a big company and suddenly I'm like, I don't like big companies. Big corporations are not my thing. So I go back to my father and I say, can I, can I start selling your wine? And he said, no, I'm drinking my wine. And I said, well, you're trying, but you know, there's a lot left and it's very good. And he was trying, trust me, he, he and his friends were trying. So he said, no, I said, yes. He said, she said I was young and, and brave, I guess. And I just went out and, and got a distributor. And when I came back with a, with a plan and a distribution, he was like, okay, let's, let's go. He was super supportive. And, um, and we started the brand. So cut, that was 2007. Cut 10 years later, we actually established ourselves as one of the most successful uh, brands in Mexico, Rivero Gonzalez and Cielo. The brand was, the house brand is Rivero Gonzalez, but we have both Rivero Gonzalez and Cielo, right? So uh, then my family kind of said, so we're doing well in the wine business. Why don't we expand? And we started looking at different places. I had lived in New York twice before. I never knew the North Fork existed. So when we started looking at places and, and someone said, well, there's something interesting for sale in New York. I came here and I drove two hours and I was like, this is here. It's like, it's beautiful. It's right next to the city. Our winemaker at the time, he said the grapes are actually great. We can do something special here. And to be honest, I like the underdog regions. I love that nobody knows about Parras and we have gold in our hands and we can explain to everyone how no one knows it, but it is amazing and beautiful. And I think I felt a little bit the same with, with the, the North Fork. It's a little hidden gem. Nobody knows about it. And it's two hours away from the biggest market in the city. I mean, in the world, right? So I came here, um, we debated a lot whether we could do it or not. We got a loan and I moved here. Three years ago, I moved. I actually moved to Long Island. I, I spent a year and a half there. We bought what was called Marta Clara Winery. They were doing a lot of sweet wines. They were not making money. They were losing a lot of money. It was owned by, a, by the Entenmann family. They do like um, little donuts. The desserts? The desserts? Yeah, yes, them. And within the year, we had rebranded. We went for RG because Rivera Gonzalez was a little hard for, for uh, the American crowd to kind of roll, roll off their tongues. We've been trying to do things differently. As I said, people were like, no, you have to correct the color. We're like, no, we'll, this is a color that we get. We should just try to do the best that we can with what we have. 
the white Merlot, no one was doing, as you said, no one was doing a white out of red grapes. So we're trying to do things differently. We're trying to be very honest and transparent about what we do, because I think in this day and age is is hard to get from some wineries, you know, with the whole like natural, non-natural movement and people take advantage of a lot of titles. So we're trying to be super honest, super open. I think we've always talked about our Mexican heritage, but as of lately, I think we'd We've leveraged more on it. And, and the more I do it, the more I, I feel stronger and more identified of who we are as a culture and, and why we're here in New York. So last, last year, I actually moved to the city. Good timing. And before COVID, I moved to the city and I was like, we're going to rock it in the city. We're going to start selling to restaurants. COVID hit. None of that happened. But I did start dating my now wife who's sitting here with me. And uh, we got married last month. So New York has been Congratulations. That's so awesome. Salute to that. Yay. Salute to the <laughs> newlyweds. I love that. Thank you. So it, it, it's been quite a, an interesting and fun journey. Okay. That's just not fair. You met, dated and married somebody d- during the pandemic and I've Whoa. not been able to go on a decent date. That is so not fair. <laughs> well, I met her 10 years ago, though. We started dating right before the pandemic. We had great timing, though. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. So what makes you guys different? Obviously, are there other wine regions? How many wine regions are in in that area, in the Long Island area? Or not wine regions, but how many wineries are in that area? So New York, I think, has three or four wine regions. Finger Lakes being the one that everybody knows. I've spent uh, way too much time in the Finger Lakes. Just as a side note, my old job, we used to do like kind of a wine and cheese tour up there every year. Courtney used to work for the um, the Dairy Association. So oh, yeah, we used to do our influencer tour in the Finger Lakes. Every I've never been. Is it is it nice? It is. Like the lakes obviously are gorgeous. It's great. Right now, they have some really great hotels up there. They have some great, obviously, have some great wineries throughout the region. And then they just, they also make fantastic cheese. I'm sold. It's also cow region up there, too. So a lot of homemade, yeah. like, fresh cheeses from a lot of the That's places. true. I can find a lot of good cheeses that have, like, the Itaca name on it, right? Which yeah, is I like mean, Cornell right is kind of, like, the agriculture school of the Northeast and potentially of, like, the nation. And so that's up there too. So um, a lot of times I feel like that's the thing about New York that people don't realize is how much is like agriculture and dairy and wine and just like, like, I think people just, they think of New York city as just New York city, but they don't realize that like, no, this is like a huge market. Plus the state is huge and and everyone thinks about just like the five boroughs, right? But when right. you when you see the map of Manhattan and Long Island, it's like this is Long Island and this is Manhattan, right? It's right. Uh, plus all of the upstate New York. Right. And everybody just thinks that upstate New York has nothing there, but it has a lot of agriculture specifically. Yes. And to answer that question specifically, there's 73 wineries in, uh, I think it's like a three mile radius. So it's like they're tight. Wow. Would you drive? You literally drive and it's like vineyard, 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 vineyard. And we all have tasting rooms. We, I think, especially with COVID, because we were allowed to stay open, which was great for everyone. We all kind of came up with great experiences. We do things like uh, blending sessions. 
So you, you try all of these wines, the grapes that we have here, you try them separately and then you do your own blend. So you, we explain a little more to you that way you have, you can play with it more and we sell that kit as well. You can do it at home. So I think everyone in, in the region is kind of striving to do better and newer experiences and things. So what do you guys see yourself doing? Cause I, as far as just with, cause you, you're still relatively new. You've only been in Long Island for a few years. What do you want to see for our GNY in that area? I mean, uh, there's a lot of work to do still with the brand. I, I mean, the brand is still fairly new. Doing things like this with you guys and kind of telling you our story and who we are, we have to keep doing this. And, and hopefully people, are, the products hopefully are going to speak for themselves. But we need to we need to do a larger uh, effort in, in getting our footprint and our name out there regionally first. So New York first. And then hopefully we get distribution in, in one of the other bigger states like Florida, California, Texas. Those are the three states where we're uh, hopefully finding another distributor to grow. We love our tasting room. We're trying to make it better and better every year. And uh, we have a very small winery. So the the I think the big plan is to build a, a bigger winery that has a room for cool experiences. I would love to do something where you go in and you experience sound and and something visual that kind of um, explains wine in a in a different context. It doesn't always have to be the same just tasting these, that, smelling, maybe you can do it with the visual and hearing things, right? I think we have big dreams, but we'll, we're taking one step at a time. I love that because, well, first of all, my goal for next year is to do four live events, one being in New York. So maybe we could do an event at RGNY. Sure. That would be awesome to do a live podcast from there. I, I think that would be awesome. And and plus, honestly, I mean, whoever's on the East Coast and hasn't been there, it's a little gem and it's it's exploding more and more, but it's it's beautiful. It's very beautiful. Yes, look at Courtney's already like, yes, I'm in. I already know she's in. Actually, I mean, yeah, I'm in for New York all the time, but also like I'm randomly in New York all the time. So now that I know you guys are there, I have to make my way to Long Island, which I don't typically do, but... But you can, but you can, Courtney. Exactly, exactly. Now you have a real reason to. That's the best part. You're like, look, I was on a virtual wine tasting with Maria herself. I have it in. <laughs> well, basically, we're all best friends now, all of us here. So you all have to come. Yes. Well, I am for sure there because so we got to start planning something for next year, Maria, in regards to, to having that, because obviously it's super it's been super important to me to really highlight all of these Latina owned wine brands that are based in the U.S. Because I think so often now, if you guys have not ever read anything on my Instagram or paid attention, there's over 11000 wineries that are based in the United States. Yet there are less than 100 that are owned by our community. That's literally less than point. It's I think it's like 0.001%. I even just say 0.1%, but it's like 0.01%, something like that. So, But 92% of the agricultural workers come from our community. So it's a really huge disparity um, because oftentimes, so I love seeing and I love knowing every time 
you know, there is a Latineo wine brand because sometimes they may not have the vineyards, but they're building their brand, right? They're buying the grapes. They're doing all of the different things. And to see something in New York is so, like it blew my mind and I was so excited. And then when I was looking at the wines and talking to Amanda, that got me even more and more excited. And How, you have to meet a winemaker. She's also Mexican. Liliana, right? Or is it Liliana? Lilia. 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 And uh, Paolo, her husband, is our commercial manager. So we're we're all I I brought everyone I could. So how are do you how are you guys still is everything still under the umbrella of the winery in Mexico? Of so there's um, a there's a parent company and I I handle both companies through that parent company and then I have a CEO in Mexico and I have a GM in New York, and from there everyone has their own structure. And do you guys have a wine club? How can people, like if they want to order wine with so you we, guys, how can they do that? We have a wine club. Yes, we're working to, we're actually, we have been making it better and it's doing great. We always send a little extra, like we call it North, North Fork or Mexican Love. So we send like something Mexican or something from local from the North Fork. And we're expanding to other states. So now in our Instagram, our GNY Wine, you can see which states we can ship directly to. Like we can ship to Florida, we can ship to New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania. I think there's nine now. Maryland. I'm not sure. I was thinking about that one now that I, I, I was talking to you, but I'm not sure. I, I'll find out for you. They can only do samples, I think, to certain areas, which is all what you guys got were samples. Yes. New York, Connecticut, Florida, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Texas, Washington, and uh, that's it for now. I think I need to get my distributor license in here and help you guys out, Maria. Yes, you should. But well, we, we we can send the samples. We we I mean, yeah, we we've been doing that. We don't do that much, but we we do it to friends. And um, and hopefully we're expanding more to more states. It's just it takes a lot of paperwork. It takes a lot of permits. You know, the bureaucracy in this country is not Mexico. In Mexico, you do things and then you're like, oh, I need a permit. I'm sorry. Well, where do I sign? And here it's like, oh, sign here, sign here. No, keep signing, keep making a line, come back tomorrow. But it's fine. We're navigating through it and, and we like it. Do you guys have any questions? Please make sure to add. We have freaking like, she's heading up everything. One of the owners, like, come on, you guys, if you have questions. Ask By the way, questions. I left my email on the chat just in case you guys want to like send me any questions or, or you're coming, let me know, whatever. Okay. Actually, I think I, I know a wine distributor in California and uh, Oakland. Very interested. Thank you. Thank you so much. That would be very helpful. They're actually a Kenyan wine and they also distribute wine but they make their wine in Kenya. Really? Wow. I would love to try that. Me too. I haven't tried Me it. Me too. Hello. That sounds very interesting. Okay. You know, Thank we're going to do next year, we're going to, we're planning on doing a, um, like a retreat in the Napa area. So maybe we can, like if I do an event, not if, when I do an event in New York, maybe we can kind of do that for those East Coast people. Because New York is one of my top, markets that listens to the podcast as well well there's a lot of latinos out here yeah and we yeah. love we love wine and cheese so you know <laughs> i've actually had a lot of guests from new york so Good. it's yeah it's really really awesome i've been telling people like hey you gotta go visit our gmy you gotta listen you gotta pay attention you know so 
It's been really awesome. Do you guys have any other questions? Because I want to be mindful of Maria's time. Maria, like, just so you know, this happens all the time. We end up, like, we stay an hour and it ends up being like an hour and a half. And then we do our quote unquote after hours where the chisme really goes down at like where the recording stops and the chisme really comes on, you know? (laughs) I get it. (laughs) So I don't have a question, but I have a comment. I received the box and I opened it up and I love the branding on it. I actually emailed or text Jay right away. And I was like, oh my gosh, these bottles are so cute. I love the branding. I love the way it looks. I love the stickering on it. Like all of it, I think is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I think branding is highly important especially in this day and age where people do care, right? We used a local uh, agency from, funnily enough, we used an agency from Brooklyn. They Mm -hmm. fell in love with the North Fork so much that they actually sold their apartment in Dubbo and moved out to the North Fork. It's a couple, right? They own the company and they moved out there and now they they have all of their people remote. So they're my neighbors now. And they're, they're very good. They're wonderful. They went deep in to kind of understanding how to make something look cool but also like uh sensible and and easy right thank you yes no it's awesome i think um giselle you told me that as well right in regards to there was a couple people who messaged me my sister was one of them and a couple other people who messaged me but i like it because oh, yeah, you know, it's so pretty i was like it's so pretty and one of the things is i had posted on instagram one time like what how do you choose your wines And a lot of times people choose their wines by the appearance, by the label. So it is super important. Are you guys in any, I mean, I'm assuming if you would be anything, it's very, very local. Or are you guys in any stores locally or is everything just strictly to go either going to either ordering it online or going to the winery itself? You mean the wines? Yeah, somebody wants to purchase the wine. Do they, is it either just online or at the winery, or is there other? Are you distributed anywhere else? No, so we're distributed all around New York. So we have a couple of stores in Brooklyn. We have a couple of stores in in the city. Actually, I I was planning on on telling Amanda we should do a highlight of where we are in the Instagram so that it's easier for people to kind of know where to go depending on where they live, or create kind of a little map for it. But we are heavily, we started with liquor stores first because it was COVID and now we're hitting restaurants. So we have a distributor in New York. They do New York, New Jersey, Connecticut and Pennsylvania for us. But we started in July because we we had planned on starting and then COVID. And so, yeah, the, the whole wholesale distribution portion of that, of everything is, is where we're hurting a little bit because we're, we're going a lot slower because of COVID. But we'll we'll keep pushing and we'll get there, right? <laughs> no, absolutely. If you guys share it, um, I'll tell just tell Amanda to tag me and I'll make sure to share that on my stories as well. Thank because, you. Hey, that's what we're here for. That's why we have the directory, right? That's why I started that directory. Do you know about that, Maria? I told Amanda. Amanda was telling me, yes. Yes. Which I think is very cool. I think I think it's um it's nice to feel how how strong the community feels when you're when you're here. And I, I love it. And that's why we have all of these awesome people who want to taste the wines, who want to support, who I tell everybody, when you support these wine tastings, you're supporting two Latino-owned businesses. You're supporting, you know, the stuff with the Wine and Cheese My Podcast, and you're supporting the wineries. And that's the same with even 
you know, merchandise and stuff like that, who I go through as Latina. So I think it's really, really important that we support each other. So everybody here, that's why they're here because they want to, so they like wine. I don't know if they love wine as much as I do or you do, but they like wine and they want to support. Um, does anybody else have any questions? Because I want to be very mindful of Maria's time because I told her seven o'clock and we're already at quarter past, which you guys know it's any everybody fine, knows no it's normal. <laughs> uh, I, just, I just had a, a quick question because it sounded like you try not to process too much. So does that mean you use either no chemicals or minimal chemicals when you're when you're doing the farming of the grapes? So the farming, that's a great question. We're, we're certified sustainable, which means we have to be, you were talking about Cornell. Cornell has a post in the North Fork as well. Together with Cornell, were some, some uh, winemakers and vineyard managers, we came up with the certified sustainable program. And uh, the idea is to understand the impact that you have on the land and make healthy and sustainable choices towards the future, right? So all of that is words, but what does it actually mean? It actually means that you have to lotify in smaller lots, hence, sorry, the, I repeated it, but you, you do it in smaller lots and then you have to take care of the grape differently. So if this lot is Merlot and this lot is Riesling, I don't, I don't spray it all. I actually have to go in, measure it, they're going to be different because it's a different grape. Even one grape, two clones, you measure it differently. And so you add only what you need. You definitely were in a region where it's very, very wet. So you have to use some uh, herbicides, but you can use only herbicides and not pesticides. And herbicides are natural, pesticides are not. And we try to do it as less as possible. It takes more work. It takes more analysis. But it, it's definitely worth it, A, for the health of the vines, B, for what you and I are drinking, and C, for the, the actual sustainability of your region and hence the planet, right? Great question. Thanks for asking, because I, I, I love talking about us being certified sustainable. There's only three wineries in the, in, uh, the North Fork that, that are certified sustainable, and, and we've been trying to get more. But it, it is a huge commitment because you have to do things differently, and it just takes more work. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for asking. I have a question. How does that differ from it being certified organic? Organic doesn't allow anything. Only what you compost yourself and you put back into it. So we do, we also compost ourselves and we put it back. Like all the skins, we put them together with worms and you make the compost and you add other natural things and you put it back into the ground. But the certified sustainable allows you to control in some ways with herbicides. I'll give you an example here in Long Island, because it's so wet. If we didn't do that, our grapes would get sick. And if they get sick, usually sicknesses in grapes are contagious. If it gets sick, I can fuck up the whole region. And it's something that no one's willing to risk, right? Plus your, your vines are worth something. If, if they're sick and, and you kill them all, you have to start all over again. It's a delicate balance. But also that you have to be careful with this, who's certifying it. We're doing it through Cornell because it's it's a real institution. And a lot of people do it through the real institutions, which is awesome. And others just take advantage of the wording, which is why, oh. what I sometimes don't like. They tell you natural. What does that mean? If you say I'm certified sustainable by ABC or I'm certified sustainable and I use a little logo, which you can Google and you'll find that it's real and it's, but a lot of people are moving towards 
that wave. And it, it's great. We should all be on that wave. And we, there's no other place to be. No, I agree with you completely. It just, and I just had so many conversations because coming out of like working in the dairy industry and working in agriculture and just learning about farming practices and like what the different things mean. Like if you're looking at organic, like it needs to have the USDA organic symbol on it. Cause it, otherwise it's just a marketing term and just like how that works and, and what is controlled and what isn't controlled. What's a marketing term, what actually means something like consumers have a tough time trying to understand what their food and what their drink, how it's made. It's very confusing. And a lot of people are using the confusion to get in and confuse us more. Right. right. Exactly. That's the, that's the biggest challenge is how much people are using it to sell their products without actually having. I'm very grateful that Yvonne and Rita are asking, because I think you should all be asking your producers, wine, cheese, like it's, it's, it's things that, that people should be asking and, and you're putting into your system, right? And we should be transparent and, and honest about what we're doing. I'm never going to say I, I do organic wine because I don't, but I do, I do do minimal intervention and the less I do, the better. And I definitely do less than most. So that's, that's as far as I can go right now. And then we'll see where we are in 10 years. When you guys took over Martha, uh, Martha Clara wines, did you guys get like, did you just use the same vines? Did you use any clone vines? Did you bring anything from Mexico? Like, or did you just use what was already there? So they had, the wine? they have a lot of vine. They had a lot of vine planted, 80 acres We and 16 varieties. I actually cut back on, on three varieties that were not a good expression here in this land, I think. But we're using the same vines, just very different uh, winemaking techniques. Got it. Yeah, I was wondering, like, how easy of a process was that? Our jobs were was definitely more in the winemaking process. The grapes were actually great and we're trying to keep them better, but they were already certified sustainable. We're keeping up with that work and just making it better. But the winemaking was um, completely different than our style. They were chaptalizing, adding sugar to most of the wines. They were also doing different wines. Their objective was different, right? Oh, for sure. What is the biggest difference with how the weather, because obviously you can plant the same wines, the same grapes in California, well, depending on what grows, but what is different in regards to the the weather and the topography and everything in Long Island that changes how maybe a Pinot Noir or a Chardonnay or a Cab is grown versus what's grown, typically grown in some place like California? I mean, as you said, every place is different. Uh, Long Island is, um, it's very wet. Weather changes are very, happen very abruptly and we don't get enough hours of sun. So these talks about wines, about white wines, being dominant or being better. Sauvignon Blanc is definitely the grape to grow in this region. I think it's a, it's a bigger us, it's a, it's healthy, it's beautiful, it's a beautiful expression in the mouth. And then you drink it and you're offered oysters at every corner because everywhere everyone has a little farm of oysters, so it just makes sense, right? In the reds you you get Pinot Noir, Cap Franc, the lighter ones. Uh, the more elegant ones with a with a structure that's sort subtle, not very uh, powerful. As I said, if you if we talk about Mexico, for instance, we do big bold reds, beautiful, jammy, complex. 
we do a wonderful orange wine, which is um, also very like sexy and juicy. And uh, so every, every region is different. And one of the things I said at the beginning is I never, or we never want to say, I'm going to make the best Cabernet Sauvignon. Maybe the region's not cut out for for Cabernet Sauvignon. So we experiment a lot and we, we say, well, I guess we wanted to do a Riesling, but we didn't love it. Hey, well, how about doing our sparkling Riesling? Oh, we actually love it. So you play with it, right? No, I really want to try the, the Pinot Noir and the Cab Franc. I'm like super excited. I, I actually I want to try everything. I'm not going to lie. Let's just be real. I want to try it all. Cab Franc <laughs> is one of my favorite ones. Is uh, it? Beautiful. Yes. Well, I mean, all of them. It, it, I have, I, I go through stages. So outside of what you guys produce, outside of RGNY, outside of Rivero Posales, what is your favorite wine to drink outside oh. of your own? Tough question. <laughs> I don't know. I go, I go through stages. So like I'm, at, I'm in an orange state right now. I drink everything that's orange. We started making orange wine back in 2014 and, and no one wanted to buy orange wine. Everyone was like, what's that? No one bought them from us and we left them uh, at the cellar and uh, I took them out last year and they left, they like they flew and we, we were able to sell them very expensively because now everyone wants orange wine. I've yet so to I'm, taste orange wine. So I'm kind of trying to understand the trend and what people are looking for and what producers are looking for. So I get caught up in it and it lasts for like a year. Last year I was into spark light, like light white sparklings because we were about to do the Riesling. So I was like drinking all the ones that I could. And then we came up with this Riesling. I always go back to like a nice Chateau of Rupap if I, if I go traditional and something great. But I keep experimenting and having faces. Two years ago, it was Italian wines. I'm into Sauvignon Blancs from all over the world because my wife always wants Sauvignon Blanc. So now I have to know what to order for her. So it's, you keep going, right? So two things. I'm seven. I like Sauvignon Blancs. I'm not a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc fan because it's too grapefruit forward. I hate grapefruit. I do not like grapefruit. And that is always the first thing I take. And I've tried a few different New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs and that's all I taste. It's so like grapefruit in your face. So I'm not a, a if you like, if you guys like grapefruit, try a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. If you don't, avoid it like I do. But the question has come up of what makes an orange wine orange? Giselle said, is it made of oranges? I know she knows it's not, but it's just funny. So what makes an orange wine orange? So the way I explained the white Merlot, right? It's red grape, but it's treated as a white. So you literally just press it, get the juice and separate it from the skin. The juice is this, you bottle it and that's it. So the, the orange wine is going to be the other way around. It's a white grape treated as a red. So you actually leave it in contact with the skins. You leave it a few days or a few weeks. So it grabs, it's, it grabs a little color from the skins. Even though the white skins are usually not lighter in color, they still have some color and they still have a little more structure than the juice. So you leave it a few days or a few weeks and it becomes a little orangey. So orange wine... Do those tend to have tannin? Because normally you, you you associate tannin with red wine because of the, the skins. But do the, do the orange wine have any sort of tannic property or no? They don't have tannins. No, no, no tannin property, but definitely they're, they're 
they're complex. You almost feel like they are because they're they're more they have more body. They have they have more density in the mouth. It also depends which grapes you use, right? Some are made with Sauvignon Blanc or Gehustraminer, and they're lighter. We do a Palomino with Riesling skins, which is a little more uh, dense. So there's a whole universe within the orange wines, which is also very interesting. Have you tried that blue wine? I forget what it's called. There's no. a blue wine out there. And I've been interested in seeing like how that tastes. That kind of reminds me of hypnotic when I see it. <laughs> so no, I haven't tried that one. <laughs> But I forget what the name of it is all, all of a sudden randomly. Do you guys have any other questions for Maria? Maria, thank you so much. I appreciate, like, I, first of all, thank you so much for, for agreeing to do this and for sitting down with us and taking the time to share your story. I want to make sure if there's anything that we didn't ask or anything else that you want to say that before anybody has any last questions that you have the opportunity to do so. No, I just want to thank you guys. Thank you for inviting me and thank you guys for listening and, and being interested and um, and for supporting our community, right? It's it's really it does warm my heart and I love it. Thank you. Do you guys have any other questions, any last questions or anything? I need to sell it. When are these carne asadas happening in Farras? Like, can <laughs> we get the address? Yes. Uh, Laura, por favor. She'll go. I'll let you know. We got <laughs> we got stuff to talk about. I'll let you know. <laughs> yes. Just always tries. Just because... always tries to hijack my connect. I like you introduce. Like we get on these white tastings, and now all of a sudden she's like, "Oh, I was serious." I was like, "Whoa, yo, these are my connections." She tries to make them her connections. <laughs> well, my email is there, anyways. But no, I mean, there's we do do a lot of events in Parras and. Uh, and in New York and, and whichever is closer to you, but really we, we do a lot of things. So let me know. We should do something. And um, it's we, we value people having fun. Really, it's important for us. We've come to the right group, Maria. <laughs> We're a fun group. We like having fun. I can see that. I like that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese My Podcast. For more information on today's guest, Please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more wine and cheese, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated, and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.